Seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayer for attention to the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 27. And we read for our text two verses, verse 36 and verse 54. Verse 36 reads, And sitting down they watched him there, that is, the Roman soldiers and those that crucified him. Then we read in verse 54, Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly this was the Son of God. And so we have a picture of those that were the Roman soldiers, the centurion, and how they were watching the Lord Jesus Christ and what their testimony was at the end. So what was done here? The crucifixion. We have the uh, picture of it. If we'd have read earlier on his uh, being Uh, humiliated before Pilate, coming before Pilate, Pilate's testimony on him, releasing a murderer and then causing our Lord to be crucified. How that they uh, stripped him of his robe, arrayed him in a, a gorgeous robe, a scarlet robe and mocked him and then they planted a thorn of a crown of thorns, put it on his head, read in his hand, and they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. The soldiers, they did this. They spit upon him, took the reed, smote him on the head, and then they took that robe off him and led him out to crucify him. Laying on one Simon that was coming out of the country to bear his cross, And then they crucified him. The agonising, terrible, slow death of crucifixion. And after they had then nailed him to the cross, raised him up, hanging there in agony, then they go and they sit down and they watch him there. What a, a picture, what a seen that that is. They put over his head the accusation, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. They have a thief each side, one on one side and one on the other. And there is the soldier sitting down and watching him. Many times in our lives we might sit down and watch something, sit on the seashore, watch all that's happening out at sea. We might view various things that we're watching children at school or in their sports day or watching something taking place and being done, unfolding before our eyes. See an air show, watch an aeroplane or something like that. And we're sitting there taking in all of the sights, all of the sounds, all that is happening. And what they were doing was sitting in front of one that was dying, a slow, agonising death, and watching him 
and observing all that was happening and listening to all that was being said. This is what they were doing. Now I want to think first, why? Why was this done? What was the reason for Christ to die? In the words of the Jews, the reason was that because he made himself the Son of God, he ought to die. That is what they said. They had taken him because of envy and they desired his death. They called him an imposter. What about the Romans? Well, Pilate, after presiding over a real vast of a uh, court and judgment, but he does say, I find no fault in this man of the things whereof ye accuse him. There is nothing under the Roman law that they were crucifying him for. And the Romans, we might say, were just doing the job, the bidding of their rulers. But what was the reason in God's account? The real reason, as it were. Our Lord says in John 10, I lay down my life for the sheep. No man taketh my life from me, I have power to lay it down, I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. And we can see in the things that are observed that how he died and how he laid down his life was marked as different even by Pilate and the soldiers they could see that he, as it were, died or laid down his life before the two thieves died before they expected him to die, he yielded up his spirit to God. But the three different accounts, you might say, Peter in Acts, when the day of Pentecost was come, he says that he was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. He says, ye have taken and by wicked hands are crucified and slain. Man sees one reason. God sees another. God works out his purposes. Man is not innocent when he works wicked works, but God is glorified when he turns that wickedness to glory. Really, when we think of the salvation of the people of God and the glory that is to be in heaven, it comes principally from two events of which man was guilty, sinful, culpable, and yet God turned it for good. The fall of man. It was our sin and our guilt. And yet God takes that fall and he takes our guilt and he lays it upon his own beloved son. And in the act of doing that, and in putting away 
the sins of his people, man again is acting in a sinful, evil way. And yet God brings good out of it. And you might say right through the lives of God's people, we find what Joseph said to his brothers, ye meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And we think of when the king of Moab got Balaam to curse the children of Israel, Instead of cursing him, he blessed them three times in three places. God does that, and we need to remember that. When we have man doing things that cause us grief and sorrow, when we have those things that we really smart under, remember that right through the word of God, God is glorified in turning that about for good. Yes, our sins, our personal sins, our transgressions, things that we have done, things that we reproach ourselves for, the Lord turns and makes them work for good. How we would bless the Lord for that one sacrifice for sin. It is the hope of all the people of God that the Lord Jesus Christ died in their place, suffered for their sins, put away their sins by the sacrifice of himself, appeased the wrath of God, brought in an everlasting righteousness and a hope beyond the grave for his people. And here then was the time when this was being done. We might think that if good things are being done, if blessing is with the church of God, then it will be a season very conducive to that. And everything will seem well and nice and been going well. But that was not like that when the Lord was brought into this world. You'd think surely God would bring his beloved son into the world when there was a good king. Good king over the Romans and one that would deal well with them. But no, it was a tyrant, one that was prepared to kill all the children two years and under to destroy and to uh, get the Lord Jesus Christ. But in spite of that, our, our Lord is preserved. And then when it comes to the greatest work of redemption, there is his own people crying out against him. And that greatest work which was done is, was done in the most bitterest of circumstances, especially for those who said we trusted. It should have been he which should have redeemed Israel. And again, we are to remember this. Many of the Lord's dear people, many of us, if we were to speak of the sweetest and most blessed blessings that we've had, They've come on the back of bitter sorrows, of darkness, of trouble, of tribulation. And we've had those. And the Lord has brought in those bitter blessings. And why should we be surprised at that? The Lord says, in me, you shall have peace. In the world, you shall have tribulation. And those two, they go together. And... At the cross, greatest pains and darkness and sorrows. 
And yet the greatest work done, a people redeemed and saved everlastingly. On to look this evening at these soldiers. They were sitting down, they watched him there. Owen to consider under two two headings. Firstly, what they saw and heard. And we'll divide that up again into three parts. But then secondly, what the centurion and the soldier's testimony was after they had seen all these things. And I do want us to, to remember that. This testimony did not come until the end. Often we can judge things before the time. The Lord says judge nothing before the time. Wait until the end. Joseph would say, wait until the end. That is what we need to do when we get the right testimony from these soldiers here. Wait until the end. And then we hear it. But firstly, what they saw and what they heard. The first thing is what they saw and heard of those that passed by, the reaction to those round about, to what was actually happening. As they sat there, they were not only observing our Lord Jesus Christ, they were observing how others were reacting to him. We read in verse 39, And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself, If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. So as they watched him, they observed this as well. Those that were passing by, they are speaking against him. They're taking the words that he had said and what he meant was not the literal temple, but the temple of his body. Destroy that. Put that to death. In three days... Raise it up again. And the Lord did rise again on the third day. But they were misunderstanding it, speaking of it as a a literal temple. But then they were blackening his name if they didn't believe his testimony that he was the Son of God, the Jews, why they crucified him, because he made himself the Son of God. But God owned him as his son. Truly he was the son of God and that light is going to be the testimony. Remember these soldiers, they're listening, they're seeing things that go on, they would have heard this. These are people going by and they're questioning if thou art the son of God. They're questioning that in the minds of the soldiers, the son of God, these people, they're talking about this man on the cross, being the Son of Man, questioning whether he is or not. We think about later what their testimony was. 
But this is what they heard. And then they not only heard that, but they heard from the chief priests. Likewise, also the chief priests mocking him and with with the scribes and elders said, (coughs) he saved others. They acknowledged that. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, remember, set over the top, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews, let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. Now the Lord had said when he spoke of Lazarus and the rich man, the rich man thought if one rose from the dead, if if Lazarus were sent to my brethren, then they would believe. The Lord said they have Moses and the prophets. If they believe not them, neither will they believe, though one rose from the dead. And that is exactly what happened. The Lord did rise from the dead. And there were those that still did not believe, even though they said that they would. But this is what the soldiers are then hearing. They're hearing what he had said and again they're they're hearing and seeing this title the king of the Jews the king of Israel they're hearing that he trusted in God that he said I am the son of God even those that are blaspheming ridiculing the scribes They're giving a real, true testimony in that way of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord is not saying these things. They are saying these things at this time. These soldiers are listening. These people are saying it in mockery. They're saying this is what he claimed, but they don't believe it is true. But these things must have been going on in their minds. And what about the thieves? What about those two on either side of him? We read in verse 44, The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. They were saying the same things all around him, all against the Lord. What an isolated position. However... We ever thought how lonely they all forsook him and fled all his disciples. How alone, how alone our Lord was. In, in thinking of this, I thought, in one sense, what an unbalanced testimony. Why did not the Holy Spirit pick out people that were saying, oh, but he is the Son of God? Was it because no one did say that? No one was bold enough to be a a lone voice, a voice that counted all of this? But there's nothing raised up, nothing is said. All those that he'd been used to save others and to bless, and there's not a single voice in his defence. Sometimes we can get like that in our lives too. We think everyone. Everyone is speaking against us. Not a single voice raised on our behalf. We to think of what our Lord went through when we go through things in our lives. His path. What he endured suffering for our sins. 
what constituted part of his agonies. And just these soldiers watching, this is what they are seeing of others' reaction. Do we notice others' reactions to the gospel, to the word of God? I believe you know it's a good thing to contrast it at times. When I speak to people of the word in the street or in varying places, you get many different reactions. Many. Some are hostile. Some they will just take everything and then say, well, you can believe that. It doesn't matter. Some they go along with it quite well until you insist that the only way of salvation is through the Lord Jesus Christ and then they get very angry and upset. But people's reactions, this is what the soldiers would be noticing. But where it's good to notice it is when you notice a difference. When you get someone like Lydia, whose heart the Lord opened, and who responds in a different way, and you notice that. You know, sometimes when they go walking around the woods and I start a conversation with someone and you can soon tell whether you can proceed in the things of God or not. Sometimes they'll pick my accent and they say, oh, where do you come from? I say, Australia. Why did you come from Australia? We take the pastorate here, St David's Bridge, and suddenly you get a blank going down. Oh, a religious person, we don't want to hear anything more there. Others will start to show an interest. You then take that a bit further as to why. And you can speak to them. And it's good to notice people, notice their reactions to things. But this is what the soldiers are doing. And I believe a very important part of what we've just noticed as to what later on is their testimony. But then what they saw and heard from the Lord Jesus Christ. And now taking the attention from those around him, goes passing by, focus on the Lord Jesus Christ himself. What they would have seen there and heard there. Well, we can base this on the seven sayings of our Lord upon the cross. Those utterances that our Lord made that were coupled with things that were being done. When our Lord was crucified, as recorded in Luke 23 and verse 34, we read that he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They would have heard our Lord speak of forgiveness over those that were crucifying him, the Jews, the Romans, all what they were doing. If you'd ask them, they'd say, we know what we're doing. We're crucifying this malefactor. But they didn't. As like the Apostle Paul said, that he served the Lord with a pure and a clear conscience from his youth. And that which he did, he did as has been foretold, that men shall think that they do God's service 
when they are persecuting the people of God. Forgiveness. Set forth, proclaimed by our Lord, even upon the cross. They heard that. Then they saw and heard something else. In the 43rd verse of Luke 23, we find a change that is made to one of those thieves. Remember the Roman soldiers, they saw both cast the same in his teeth. And now they're hearing and seeing something different. They're hearing what the thieves are saying one uh, to another, verse 40, uh, well, verse 39, one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. And then the other one is, is, is different now. He rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? Suddenly there is one that is speaking for the Lord, and he is also suffering on the cross. He is with him. You know one thing that will make us speak well for the Lord is when we have some fellowship with him in his sufferings. When we get a little glimpse of what he has gone through and what he has endured to put away our sin. And this dear man, he saw it. He saw it. And he says, We indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man had done nothing amiss. How vital in true conversion, true work of grace is a confession of our sin. That those things that happen in our lives, the sentence of death, our fallen nature, all is is due to our sin. But then he turns to the Lord. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And then we have the words of our Lord to him. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. There is a hope beyond the grave. There is a paradise. There is life after death. The Lord shall be there. This thief shall be there. The soldiers are seeing and they're hearing this that has been going on. Then as recorded in John, we have a a beautiful act of compassion and love of our Lord to his mother Mary. In John 19 and verse 26, we read that, When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, that is John, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her into his own home. In the midst of all his sufferings and agony and the great work that was being done, He didn't forget his mother. Now sometimes in our troubles and in our trials, we can forget another's troubles and trials. 
We think that ours eclipse everything. Ours are more important. And we dwell upon ourselves. But what a sight that the Roman soldiers saw. Here is the Lord in the greatest agonies and death and he is remembering his mother, remembering her sorrow, remembering what she is going through. If the disciples did not know, they trusted it should have been he that should have redeemed Israel. The mother too, remember when he was born, she took the words of the shepherd, she pondered them in her heart at 12 years age, what he said in the temple, Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business, that word still remembered, and is coming to that time that these things should be uh, revealed what they meant, but really more than that, it appears Joseph had already died, and Mary would have been dependent. Then got welfare state, they relied upon the men, on the brethren, to look after their mothers, to look after their widows. And here our Lord is making sure our Lord, uh, his, his mother is cared for. The Roman soldiers, they saw this. They heard that going on. And then we have, going back to the chapter where our text is, the pangs of the soul of our Lord. Now I know most of these accounts, they are duplicated in, in several other uh, parts, but we have the hiding of his Father's face. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice. The darkness had been over all the land from the sixth to the ninth hour, three hours, and he cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The very words spoken by David in Psalm 22 is that Psalm opens with these words a thousand, thousand years before this time. One of the ways we know the scriptures are true and a true witness from God is prophecy and prophecy fulfilled. We find it here and we find also as in many of the Psalms an entrance into the soul of our Lord. What is going on deep within? You read Psalm 34, we know that that is prophetic of our Lord. Uh, this poor man cried, the Lord heard him, saved him out of all his troubles. But we know what was going on outwardly with that because David was before Abimelech, the Philistines had recognised him, his life was in danger, and the Lord delivered him. And there is that outside, what is happening outside, is what's happening in the soul. People might say, well, what was the death of our Lord more painful, more worse than the two thieves? The two thieves was the same bodily crucifixion, but they had not got the weight of all the sins of our Lord's people that were hanging upon him, nor had they a hiding of a father's face, nor had they the sole exercise and burden that he had. May we also remember this. 
We can look at a brother's outward path and say, well, it's the same as, same as so-and-so. You're both walking the same path. Yes, outwardly, yes. But inwardly it might be very, very different. Every heart knoweth its own bitterness. Stranger doth not intermeddle with his joys. And God's people, they have the exercise of soul and burden of soul. And those that know the Lord, they feel when he hides his face from them. They know what it is when darkness is over their soul. And here the soldiers heard. They heard this, this man. That so many that passed by are questioning whether he was the son of God. They're questioning whether he really was the king of Israel. That's what they were saying. Now they hear from him and in this cry, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? All these things that they're hearing, all these things that they're seeing in the darkness over the land. Then going back to John, we have, in one way you might say, the pangs of the body. in John 19 and verse 28. We read that after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, and then we find the the, the next thing that will bring forth. But there is the thirst, that greatest of things associated with the crucifixion. Tremendous thirst. Now, Lord, right through Scripture is very clearly identified God and man in one person and even on the cross. We have his divinity, we have his humanity, we see both. His sufferings, we never should think, well, because he was truly the Son of God, somehow that made his sufferings less. It's easy to think that right through his whole life, that somehow that they were less because he could sustain himself. In the garden it was the angels that were sent uh, to sustain him and to uphold him. But we know from the weariness on the well, the sleeping in the ship, he had those not sinful but infirmities that belong to humanity. And those things that he felt, the contradiction of sinners against himself, they're just what you and I would feel as well and feel it keenly so. Those pangs of his body. Then there is the declaration in verse 30, John 19, of a finished work. The soldiers, they hear this. He said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. A declaration, a strong declaration of a finished 
work, what was finished, what questions must have gone through the minds of those soldiers and the centurion. You know, we have the laying down of the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke 23 and verse 46, we read, Our Lord, when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. This is what the centurion and those that were hearing, they saw this. They saw a man that was not dying through weakness, but strong at the last, commending his spirit to his God, into his Father's hand. No man taketh my life from me, I lay it down of myself. This commandment have I received of my Father. And so the, uh, they, they saw these things that were happening while their Lord was alive while he was speaking. And then when he died, then there was more things that they saw. Going back to uh, Matthew 27, we see what happened when he died in verse 51. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. They would not have seen that. They had been in the temple. We're told what was happened though. But what they would have known and would have felt, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. <coughs> what they again wouldn't have, well, they would have seen the graves open, but then after our Lord rose, many bodies of the saints which slept arose. But they saw, they saw the effect of when our Lord yielded up his life. The whole ground shook and... The rocks rent. It would have been a very fearful sight indeed that they saw. So think of verse 36. And sitting down they watched him there. And all these things they, they saw. Those passing by and round what they were saying. What the Lord Jesus Christ said and what he did. And what happened when he died. And what then was their testimony and their reaction? Going back to the second verse of our text. Verse 54. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly this was the Son of God. What a testimony. Of course, we can change that. We can say, Truly this is the Son of God. By his death, he didn't cease to be the Son of God. He is the Son of God, the eternal Son of God. But in the view and the testimony of the soldiers, this is their testimony. 
there is quite a marked difference between the soldiers here in all that they had seen and their testimony and those that were given the task of guarding the tomb of our Lord because they were bribed, they were given money and to testify uh, that uh, his disciples came and, and took him away. They didn't have the same fear, the same testimony. But those who had seen all these things and heard all of these things, they did. I want to think of this just briefly with our own lives. The way God works with his children is through those things that they see and those things that they hear. He gives them eternal life. He gives them spiritual life. He gives them seeing eyes and hearing ears. And for the first time in their lives, they begin to see and they begin to hear. Now he said before that there was to be a waiting, a waiting until the set time. It may be with you. The Lord has already given you, given you eyes, given you to see things. You're watching. How often we are exhorted in this to watch and pray. And we're listening. Listening to what maybe other church members are saying, what others are saying. You're listening to the prayers. You know, I remember a time I never listened to the preaching, never listened to the prayers. Man got a spiritual life and got interest. That when the Lord begins, then you begin to listen. And at first there may be all of these isolated things you hear. And you puzzle over, and you pray over, and you think over. But judge nothing before the time. Wait, and watch on. Because there came a time when this centurion and those that were watching, they did speak, they had to speak, they did fear God. They were brought to a conclusion that they utter, truly, this was the Son of God. The testimony of the eunuch to Philip when he said, If thou believest, thou mayest was, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He had the same testimony as this centurion, and he had baptized on that. It might not be as many things, the same things that we see and hear as what these soldiers did, that they will be enough. They'll be enough to bring us to the same testimony with the heart man believes and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And it all centres around our Lord and our belief in him. Now I've said this in other assemblies. Do notice of what the testimony is of God's people through the scripture. The eunuch was not required to give a testimony, although it is implied in it, a testimony, I believe that Jesus is my saviour, my redeemer, and he put away my sin. 
In that sense, it, 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 it was a testimony of that. God's people uh, do have, when they have a scripture realisation of what it is to believe in the Lord, that is true. But we are not to be looking inwardly to try and find out that answer, but in a way, the Holy Spirit will point us out. And you say, you want to know who my people are? They are they that I will reveal the Lord Jesus Christ to them. I will show him to them in such a way that they are drawn to him, they love him, they gladly receive his word, they follow him, and what glads their heart is what they see in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a very different thing from what they see in themselves. In themselves, they're nothing but sin and disgrace. But what the Holy Spirit reveals in Christ, they see a beauty and drawn to him and attracted to him. And that is a seal that God puts on his children. If you say, not the world, not the ungodly, they do not see any beauty in Christ. They don't see who he is. But my people are given to see who I am and to believe in him. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That was the testimony that Paul required from the Philippine jailer. And because he had been set before him, and here, with the watching soldiers, all that they'd seen and all that they'd heard. And then it comes to this testimony. Truly this was the Son of God. In all that the Lord shows us and all that we've heard, may the Lord give us that glad heart and that same testimony that we as well, our eyes have seen the beauty of the Lord. We have seen the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. We have seen the Lord Jesus Christ as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. So may we have this same testimony and may we see those things that bring us to gladly receive his word and sweetly believe in him. Amen.